We'll be in Mark chapter 14 today. When Sherry and I were first married, Sherry had a car. It was a Pontiac Grand Am, a sharp-looking car. But if you stuck around long enough, you'd see it break down. That was the worst car as far as being dependable that I have ever owned. And uh, we, uh, I, I remember the day, the glorious day. I saw it in the rearview mirror for the last time, and I was having a worship service. But sometimes uh, people can look good on the outside, but on the inside there's something wrong. In Noah's day, uh, the Bible says God saw the hearts of men that they were only evil all the time. Only evil all the time. So that, that thought process, that mindset, uh, and, and then the pursuit of those thoughts and mindsets. We, sometimes you can't control what pops into your head, but you can control what you do with it. Uh, but what is going on inside our hearts is very significant. The Bible says what we say and what we do comes from our hearts. Proverbs says out of the heart are the issues of life. So how our heart is, our heart condition, and I'm not talking about the pump that we have in our chest. I'm talking about our inner spiritual man. How our heart is doing is one of the most important things we could ever consider. The scripture that we're looking at today gives us a couple of bad examples and a couple of good examples of what a heart should be like. And so we're going to look at these and uh, evaluate where we are with God. Uh, this is a good thing from time to time. You know, you can do that too much to where you're always contemplating, uh, you know, where you are. But most people do it too little. And so, uh, evaluating your heart is a good thing to do. Uh, scripture says, examine yourself to see if you be of the faith. This is something we're told to do as well. And so, um, although that's not going to be the main emphasis of this message, it is uh, something that we should do. And so, um, the title of my message is Evaluating Your Heart. We need to do that and ask God to show us our hearts and then help us respond to Him in the appropriate ways. Look with me at verse 1 of Mark 14. <clears throat> it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so that there won't be a riot among the people. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table... A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, and you can do what is good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. 
And when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and told them, go to the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him one by one, Surely not I. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go as it has been written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. As they were eating, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and said, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Evaluating your heart. What kind of heart might you have? Well, first of all, do you have a hateful heart? A hateful heart. In verse 1, it says, The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a cunning way to arrest Jesus and kill him. How'd you like your church leadership to be involved in a murder plot? (laughs) That's what's happening here. Uh, They had a hateful heart. They were hateful for a number of reasons. One is, I believe Jesus had exposed their sin. He consistently spoke to them very directly because he knew they were leaders and he knew that they were satisfied with themselves and he tried to shock them into the sense of recognizing they needed God's forgiveness. Rather than responding, most of them hardened their heart toward him and they grew in their hatred of Jesus. Now they're to the point where they're just looking for a way to put him to death. Um, recently, they had the uh, Holocaust uh, Survivor Day, and uh, in memory of the, the Jewish Holocaust survivors, where six, six million Jews were, were put to death in the Nazi concentration camps. And we see that as a hatred. And, and uh, I, I read uh, this past week about the church in Nigeria. Uh, so many people have been killed in Nigeria just for naming the name of Christ. Uh, Muslims have come and driven them out of their homes and, and uh, killed many of them and, and uh, settled in their homes. Um, there's a hatred of Christians in many parts of the world. But oftentimes hatred comes in more subtle forms. It comes 
perhaps in the, in the form of an unforgiving spirit. And we recognize someone who has hurt us or uh, done us wrong. And we hold that grudge against them and we refuse to let it go. And, and this bitterness and this hatred grows in our hearts towards someone else. This is not what God has called us to be as Christians. He's called us to forgive. Jesus said, if your brother has ought against you, go to him and make it right. Um, so if your brother has something against you, something legitimate against you, go to him and make it right. Um, another, another scripture uh, says, if, if you have wronged someone, Go to them and make it right. As a Christian, that's what we're called to do, to, to mend relationships. Now, some, some relationships you can't mend. Uh, there's some people who are determined to hate you no matter what. <laughs> and uh, you, can, you can do all the right things. You can say all the right things. And it won't matter because they're just determined to hate you. And that's, you know, you can't do much to change that. So, but um, we definitely need to deal with hatred in our hearts. 1 John talks about murderous hatred, and it says that a person who is genuinely a child of God will not have murderous hatred in their heart. Um, One of the things that God does is He changes us on the inside when we come to Christ. He makes us a new creation. And, um, And He gives us the capacity through the power of the Holy Spirit to love our enemies, and that's what we're called to do. Uh, but, but know that a hateful heart is a sin against God. Jesus said, if you, you've heard it say, you shall not murder. But I tell you, he who says, you idiot, he who says, you fool, is in danger of hellfire. Why? Because the attitude of the heart, the hatred of the heart is there. There is no place in the church of God for racial hatred, for class hatred, or any other kind of hatred. Okay, We are to hate sin. We are to speak the truth about sin. Some people in our culture today call that hatred. That's not hatred. That's speaking the truth. And you can speak the truth in love. Uh, but, but there is no Hatred that is to be in the house of God. We're called to love each other. Do you have a hateful heart? You may not have the murderous hatred, but are you holding a grudge against someone who has wronged you? Make it right. Go to that person and do what you can, if you're able to. Sometimes you, you geography or... Uh, you know, things may be such where you can't, but or perhaps the person has passed. If you can, go and make it right. It, but, but regardless of that other person, make a choice in your heart. Lord, I'm going to cancel this debt. I choose by the power of your spirit, and I rely upon your grace in this, but I choose to forgive this person. And then don't allow yourself to go back around the, around the wheel. You know, what I'm, you know what I mean by that? Have you ever forgiven somebody and then you started thinking about what they did again? And then you begin to get angry. And then you got more angry. 
and then you got more angry, and you're back right where you were before. <laughs> and uh, that's going around the wheel again, right? Don't refuse to do that. Once you forgive somebody, make a choice. If that thought comes to your mind, say, no, I'm not going there. I'm going to focus my thoughts on something else. I've chosen to forgive this person. Now, forgiveness does not mean that you have to act in a foolish way. I had a guy come to, my, come to me at my church one time. This is my last church. And uh, he said, well, uh, he said, this is what I want to do. And, uh, you know, you're, you're commanded by God to forgive me, and so uh, you need to let me do what I want. And I said, well, I do forgive you. But I said, that doesn't mean I'm going to let you do what you want. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, you, don't, you can take precautions. You can be careful. You can be wise and so forth. But, but forgiveness is just simply the canceling of a debt someone, uh, that, you, that you feel someone else owes you. And you, you cancel that debt and you move on. So a hateful heart. Do you have a hateful heart? And by the way. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. Did you know sins of the heart can send you to hell? Something people don't think about very often, but it's very true. A wicked heart, a sinful heart in hatred of someone else can send you to hell. That's what Jesus said, right? In danger of hell fire, if you say you fool and lash out in anger and hatred against someone else in danger of hellfire. Listen, that's why we need the grace of God. It's not just what we say. It's not just what we do. Even our thought life can get us into trouble when we pursue a wicked thought life in our, in our lives. So, uh, a hateful heart. Make sure you repent of hatred. Confess it to God. Ask God to give you the grace to overcome it. Depending on, on, on what you've experienced, there may be a process that you go through that, to where God brings you victory. But don't just leave that hateful heart there. Deal with it uh, so that God can, can do his work in your life. So evaluating your heart. What kind of heart might you have? First of all, there's a possibility you might have a hateful heart. Secondly, an extravagant heart. I love this. An extravagant heart. This is the type of heart that God wants every child of God to have toward him. An extravagant heart of love. In Deuteronomy, God told the Israelites, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The Scripture gave that directive to the Israelites so many years before, but that's what God wants every Christian uh, to have as far as a heart toward Him. This woman demonstrates this heart toward God. She takes a, a bottle of perfume worth a year's wages, and she breaks it open, and she pours it. Over the head of Jesus. We're, we're told um, there's a little bit of debate were there two women who anointed Jesus or was there one? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into all that, but 
one of the other uh, accounts in the Gospels talks about the fact that not only did she pour that oil upon his head, she poured it upon his feet. And she washed his feet with her hair and with her tears. She's weeping, washing his feet with her hair. And you say, well, that doesn't sound too, too, uh, too fun to wash somebody's feet with your hair. Well, you ain't seen nothing because in those days... <laughs> When somebody washed somebody else's feet, they wore sandals, and they, and they walked around in the dirt. They, they didn't wear shoes like us. And so it was, it was nasty is the only word I know how to, 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 to describe it. And yet her love was so great for Jesus, she just wanted to pour out not only the perfume, but, but her, an expression of her love for Jesus Christ. And she became an example. Uh, all of the Gospels include her story. Isn't that a neat thing? Just, why? Because of her extravagant heart of worship. Her extravagant heart of love toward God. Now we all express our love in different ways. Some of us are we're more service oriented. Others are more, um, you know, we do... Uh, gift giving or uh, some are physical touch, uh, you know, the different ways that we express love. But, but God wants us to have this extravagant heart of love toward Him. And um, whether it is in what we give, whether it is in what we do for, in service, whether it is in words of praise that we lift to Him in prayer, or songs that we sing, or getting excited about our great God, or or, uh, getting joyful in Him as we worship His name, Uh, we need to have an extravagant heart. Let me ask you something. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I have to confess to you, there are many times that I don't. And this is one of those things. Uh, I can do so through the power of the Holy Spirit within me. But oftentimes, I'm not walking in the Spirit the way I should. And so I'm not loving God the way I should. Now, let me just say this also. Love grows over time, right? And so if you're, if you're a new Christian... Uh, you're just starting out with God, and, and there'll be some love for God there, but it will grow and it will deepen as you grow in your walk with God. But, but this is the goal, and this is what we need to ask God. Say, Lord, help me to have a heart that loves you. Jesus said these two commands sum up all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything falls into those two categories. Um, so love is crucial. And by the way, to not love God in the way he calls us to is a sin. So there have been many times in, in my life where I've had to confess, as we mentioned before, you know, a wrong heart towards somebody else. Sometimes I've had to confess that I don't love God the way I should. And I've had to ask, as David asked God, Lord, uh, renew a right spirit within me. Make sure you take care of that. Confess that to God and ask God to help you repent and genuinely love Him. Ask Him for the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
Ask him to love through you. You say, well, that's kind of weird. Why would you ask God to love through you when, to love him? Because you can't do it the way he wants in your own strength. I know it seems weird, but listen, if you want to do it, the way to do it is through the power of the Spirit. There's no other way. So, <clears throat> evaluating your heart. Do you have a hateful heart? Do you have an extravagant heart? Thirdly, do you have an idolatrous heart? Look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to him. That word, then, kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse into his motivation. What happens? The woman breaks this thing of perfume and Judas is upset. Some of the other disciples apparently are too. Well, this could have been sold and given to the poor. I mean, what, what are we doing here? We're wasting an entire year's worth of wages here. What's going on here? But one of the other gospels tells us that Judas used to dip his hand into the purse. He used to steal from Jesus. Can you imagine that? Um, so his real motivation wasn't the poor. His real motivation was, I want that money, and it's being given to somebody else, and I don't like it. And Jesus defended her, and she said, she's done a beautiful thing for me. And Judas says, that's it. That's the last straw. Jesus is cutting in on my profits. And he goes to betray Jesus. And it says here in, in uh, verse 11, when they heard this, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. He had an idolatrous heart. You say, well, he wasn't wor worshiping a statue. Yes. His idol was money. And Jesus, following Jesus was okay as long as it didn't get in the way of his prophets. Money was his God. Now, this, this could be applied to a lot of different things. It could be applied uh, to our work. You know, some people say, well, you know, I'll serve Jesus, but work comes first. And I realize people have to work. You have to make a living and so forth. But, um, you know, there's a difference, I think, in the, in the attitude of uh, if I can find a job where I can worship God and, and, and be with God's people. I'm going to try to do that. Uh, if I can try to find a job where I'm serving God, I want to try to do that. Um, or uh, do you have the opportunity to volunteer? I know a lot of times people would volunteer. You volunteer for overtime, right? Yeah, I'll work on Sundays. Time and a half, buddy. Okay. Now, I'm not. If you, if you work on Sunday and you work for time and a half, don't think I'm trying to point at you and everything. I understand. Listen, I've worked on Sundays, okay? Does that, that make you feel any better, hopefully? Uh, I, I've had to do that at times. But uh, just understand this. It's a very subtle thing sometimes in our lives when Christ slips out of first place and something else has crept up there. Sometimes it could be family that keeps you. Well, it's my family time. I'm not going to spend time with God at God's house because I, I'm going to spend family time. Nothing wrong with family time. Nothing wrong with a 
even missing a service to, to spend some family time occasionally. But there is something wrong if your family begins to slip into that place of first priority in your life and Christ falls to second or third or fourth, whatever the case may be. Uh, an idol in your life is anything that you put before God. It could be leisure. Some people have, well, yes, I like to go do this or I like to go do that. And their spiritual life is a desert because they never pay attention to the things of God. They're always busy going and doing. And they're not putting God first in their life. Nothing wrong with leisure activity. I enjoy it. I praise God for it. But it can become an idol. God will speak to your heart and, and point these things out to you if you're open for him to speak to you. And if, if something has slipped into first place rather than God, sometimes it might, it could even be your own reputation that's your idol. You say, well, how's a reputation? Well, well, suppose you want to be liked by people so you're unwilling to talk to them about Jesus. So your own preference of how you want people to treat you becomes more important than your obedience to God. Idolatry. So confess it to God. Ask God to change your heart. Ask him to fill you with his spirit so that you can put him first once again. Judas' idolatrous heart led him down a dark path, ultimately past the point of no return. So, evaluating your heart, do you have a hateful heart, an extravagant heart, an idolatrous heart, or a surrendered heart? Jesus is speaking with the disciples at the Last Supper. At the, you know, they're celebrating the Passover, but it's also the Last Supper, and it's also the first Lord's Supper okay, that we experience and, um, and celebrate. Verse 21, he says, The Son of Man will go just as it has been written about him. The Son of Man will go. See, Jesus had made up his mind to go to the cross. Look at verse 22. As they were eating, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave to them, and said, Take it. This is my body. Just a short time later, his body would be broken by the lash, pierced by the nails, cut by the crown of thorns. Verse 24, he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. So he took the cup. He says, This is my blood. He's about to go have his blood shed. You see, Jesus had a surrendered heart. Now, he's going to go in the garden and there's going to be a struggle in the garden as he prays. And uh, he knows what's coming. But he will say these words, Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus had a surrendered heart for us. Jesus' heart of surrender involved leaving the throne of heaven. It involved being born to a humble family in a smelly stable. Raised as a carpenter's son. Ultimately to go into ministry where he was largely uh, 
opposed and rejected by the leadership of his people and ultimately to a cross. The scripture says in Philippians, Jesus emptied himself. Uh, listen, Jesus, Jesus willingly set aside what was good for him so that he could do for us. And what a difference it's made for us. So Jesus had a surrendered heart. There has been no heart like Jesus in the history of the world. Uh, his heart, my heart, has not always been surrendered. There have been many times I've had to confess to God that my heart is not surrendered to him. But Jesus' heart was always surrendered to God. I do nothing but what my Father tells me to do. Let me ask you, as a child of God, are you surrendered in your heart toward God? Well, Lord, I'll do this, 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 and this, but not this. That's not surrender. Surrender, and by the way, true repentance, is giving God every compartment of your heart and life. Jesus called the disciples. He said, follow me. Sons of Zebedee left their father. He had some servants to help him. Left him, followed Jesus. Matthew left his lucrative tax career to follow Jesus. But it was more than just, just the leaving of a career. They embraced a life of hardship and, and generally rejection by their people. And everyone experienced persecution. Every last one of them. Eleven of the twelve went to their death for the sake of Christ. John died. Some believe he was, he was martyred as well, but others believe he died in prison on the Isle of Patmos as an old man. Whatever the case, these men had a price they had to pay for following Jesus. You don't get to heaven, you don't earn your way to heaven, but can I tell you, there's a cost to following Jesus and surrender. Uh, but here's the, here's the flip side of that. Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. I love the fact that Jesus walks with God in sweet fellowship. The disciples requested, Lord, teach us to pray, because they saw his relationship with God. It was so sweet. They wanted to have a, a relationship with God like he had. And um, I love that fact. But what I love even more is what Philippians says. I mentioned that it says Jesus emptied himself. And it says, for the glory set before him, and he endured the cross, despising the shame. Because of this, God has highly exalted him. And given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, if you surrender to Christ, there will be a reward yet to come. You're going to be glorified.
and you'll have those rewards to cast at the feet of Jesus. But here's the flip side of, of surrender in this life. When you surrender to Christ, you can know the abundant life. If you're unsurrendered, you won't. Many Christians wonder, why do I never experience the joy of the Lord? Why do I never experience the peace that passes understanding? I'll tell you why. Most of the time, it's because of an unsurrendered heart. Most of the time. When you can genuinely surrender, and don't just say, I surrender, mean it from your heart. And keep telling God, say, Lord, I didn't mean it that time. Quicken me with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen me. Enable me to genuinely say, I surrender. When you truly surrender to Christ, the peace and the joy uh, of your relationship with God can be yours. Um, I had to bow the knee to Jesus in my salvation. I believe true surrender is part of saving faith. We may not understand all the implications of it, but a surrendered heart is in faith uh, to follow Jesus is part of that decision that we make to follow Jesus. But uh, what I discovered was I had played church my whole life. But when I surrendered to Christ, everything changed. Everything changed. My heart was different. It was such a profound difference within my heart. I, I, I don't really know how to describe it other than to say that the burden of my guilt was gone. Um, there was a new joy. Now that joy, I, I'm, I'm not sinless. I, you know, Jesus is sinless, but I'm not sinless. And so eventually that joy was lost through my sin. I had to confess and so forth. And, you know, and, but, but here's the thing. Surrender enables you to walk with God. So, what could God do through the people of this church if every one of us was 100% surrendered to Jesus Christ? That excites me just to think about it. What could God do? I'll tell you one thing I think he would do. We'd have revival every time we came together. It would be great. The presence of God would be so real and so powerful in this place as we surrender. So, so important. Uh, I believe God would use us in greater power in this community. I believe more people would be saved. A surrendered heart. By the way, if you're unwilling to surrender, your kids will notice. Kids can spot phonies. If you want your kids to love Jesus, it begins with you loving Jesus. I'm not saying that God can't do something different in a new generation. He has and he will. But generally the way things work is if you don't care about Christ, your kids are not going to care about Christ. If you're not committed to Christ, your kids won't be committed to Christ. Matter of fact, generally speaking, your commitment to Christ will be lesser in the next generation. That's generally the way it works. And so, 
we have to we have to teach our kids, those especially those who were raised in church. It's not just about going to church; it's about a living, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And and so, anyway, a surrendered heart so 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 important. So evaluating your heart: Do you have a hateful heart? Do you have an extravagant heart? Do you have an idolatrous heart? Do you have a surrendered heart? I've got good news for you today. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, we quote that about salvation, and it's true about salvation. If you're in Christ, if you become a Christian, you'll be a new creation. But it's also true about sanctification. If you are in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? It means that Christ is living through you. I confess, there are times God has to change my heart. I was, uh, I was talking with uh, somebody this week, and uh, she was on the phone with a customer. And the customer was just being completely selfish, okay? Had changed the appointment four times and just... And you could just say it was written all over the lady's face. She was frustrated to no end. And um, I, she got off the phone. She was telling me about it. And, uh, and, and I began to, uh, to share with her, you know, something, something that I'd experienced as well. We all, we all experience those frustrating, uh, those frustrating situations in life. But... Um, God is able to, to help us to overcome those things, to help us to walk in love, to help us to walk in victory. He says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, so if your heart isn't where it needs to be, if there's hatred, or perhaps you've just, your love has grown cold and, and your, your spiritual life has been a desert, uh, perhaps... Uh, you recognize that your life is not surrendered. Maybe the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something as I've been speaking, and you know what it is. And he's pointed it out to you, and he's saying, I want you to surrender that. And I'm just going to ask you to come do what God is leading you to do this morning. Confess anything that is wrong. Confession is, Lord, I sinned when I fill in the blank. That's confession. Okay, come and admit it to God, ask God to change your heart, and ask God to fill you with his spirit and let Christ live through you. We can have victory through Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would help us truly examine our hearts, Lord, and not only to examine them, but, Father, to respond to you in the specific ways you desire us to respond. Perhaps for some this morning, it's surrender. Perhaps for others, Lord, it's, there's just...